Hello, I'm Greg Whitby and thanks for tuning in to Blue Yonder Voices, where each month I sit down with an educator and talk about the work of learning and teaching in today's world. Today I'm fortunate to be chatting to Mike and Fullen. Michael is the Global Leadership Director, New Pedagogies for Deep Learning and a worldwide authority on educational reform with a mandate of helping to achieve the moral purpose of all children learning. A former Dean of the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education of the University of Toronto, Michael advises policy makers and local leaders around the world to provide leadership in education. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Um, Michael, you don't come from sort of a, an educational background, an academic, but you don't come from an educational background per se. What attracted you or drew you into um, the education orbit? Well, this is a uh, timely question. One of my publishers uh, asked me about a year and a half ago to write my uh, professional autobiography, which I just finished about three weeks ago. So I had to visit this question in a different way an actual way and uh, I would say the answer is first I didn't choose education it selected it selected me and uh, the more substantive answer is as I started to uh, work on educational matters I was got more and more attracted to solving complex problems that were very important for society so it wasn't like I had the moral purpose I want to save the world in that way but it was that everything I was doing for the last years drew me into how do you solve a problem like improve a whole district, improve a whole province like Ontario, California where we're working now. So the challenge of moral purpose playing itself out as a system solution, and I don't mean it's just at the system level, it's at all levels that we work in, was the main reason why I got hooked. All right. You didn't train as a teacher. Your academic background's in psychology, isn't it? No, it's sociology. Sociology. So I, I had uh, the abstract uh, notion of the group. Right. But also, in the course of doing this work, I was uh, dean of education for 15 years. So eight plus seven in two different situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you could say I, I worked as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, responsible for the organization. So it's not exactly like when you're trying to corral 120 professors, it's not exactly teaching. Uh, but it is, there's an element of that. <laughs> That's right. When you, you you probably ended up in a different place now than when you started in, in doing this work. Yeah. What's the journey been like? What are some of the you know the um, the barriers and and the hurdles you've seen over that course of your period to get to now? Well, the big shift, and I almost divided in half because I've been doing this for over forty years. Is I started as an academic sociologist, so. I only had general concepts, and so I would, could analyze, change, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was analyzing, not improving. It was, mm-hmm. un, you know, and, and that. So I did, and then the first time I became dean, 1988, I shifted to now I'm dean. We can solve problems. We can improve teacher education. We can improve uh, districts. And we set up a, a learning consortium in Ontario, in around Toronto, that did those two things. So as of then, I began to become a better practitioner because I was doing it as a dean, as a leader, but I was doing it equally with having our faculty work with school districts to mm-hmm. learn how to improve the situation. And when I, one of the things I have learned, and I actually saw it in research as well, I mean in a, in a report, that 80% of your best ideas come from leading practitioners. Mm-hmm. They don't come from, going look at the latest research only. 
So I always start with practice, and I'll test it out with research. But I want to I want to get to those leading practitioners, and have that learning permeate the whole system, so that it's not pocketed. It actually is transforming entire mm -hmm. systems. Uh, district is a minimum size, uh, but I prefer province or state. Um, Andy Hargraves once said to me that if you want to count yourself as, as an expert in your field, you've got to publish a, a, a book because it forces yeah. you to, to do it and to focus on the, the core of your work. You're a prodigious writer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, how do you maintain the, the momentum to keep um, producing mm -hmm. the books you do? Well, it's built in uh, that what the, our, my modus operandi, and I have a team that work with mm. me, so we have a lot of stimulation, is that we, uh, we work with big chunks of the system trying to mm. solve a problem, and we take the you know, best ideas around that, and then as we finish some of that, then after we do that, I write the book. Mm. So I don't have any trouble saying, how do I write a book, because I've just been stimulated by three years of doing something, mm -hmm. one year of doing something, we've got a bunch of things mm -hmm. uh, going on. So we, uh, it is the case that the way to prove yourself is to keep writing books and to have the more and more accurate, specific, mm -hmm. more and more getting inside the issues. And uh, Andy himself, you mentioned, uh, I actually hired him from England. Oh. As a, so he was a sociologist, uh, uh, in 1986 we hired him. And he was more of a, of a theoretician academic. Mm -hmm. And he's become very strong at applied work. So there, Kurt Lewin said it, there's nothing so practical as good theory, mm -hmm. but we change him around and say, there's nothing so theoretical as good practice. Mm -hmm. And so those of us, I think, who have gone the furthest in insights, mm -hmm. uh, like Passy and Andy and several others like that, are all because we're doing the work and we're writing mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Not writing about it in the abstract lab, but via mm -hmm. practice. It's my observation, actually, in reading over a long period of time your work. It's like a journey into the heart of darkness. You keep getting, <laughs> you keep getting closer and closer, or digging deeper and deeper. Is that how you see it? Uh, yeah, very much so. I think it is. Uh, maybe it's the heart of darkness, but I also get more enlightened as mm -hmm. I, I get through. And I think I'm more. Um, I am one of Passy's students. Just did her dissertation analyzing. This is her PhD dissertation. Mm -hmm analyzing Andy's work in mind to get a whole dissertation mm -hmm. and so uh, she said about me that I was I, w I was over I was talking about complexity all the time uh, and then the last 10-15 uh, years I started to get more breakthroughs on the solutions mm -hmm. so I think the heart of darkness actually is getting lighter mm -hmm. in the sense of uh, being more understood mm -hmm. problems get harder in some ways equity right now mm -hmm. and the solutions become possible we can actually mm -hmm solve the equity problem, I think, with the strategies we're looking at. In working across all the jurisdictions and districts that you, you work in, um, what gives you the, the most energy when you're, you're probably, you know, in starting off it might be difficult, but what ultimately gives you the energy to keep, to keep the pace? The energy comes from uh, working with those that are inviting me to help solve complex problems. Mm -hmm. So that is built in for me, the energy, because when you're when you're working with a, a willing you know partner that wants to do something that such as the, the work I do, it's almost always teamed up with uh, with leaders like mm -hmm. yourself or others uh, that includes the whole system. When you work that way, that the uh, you just get drawn in 
more and more mm -hmm. into it and that kind of, so the the energy comes from uh, when you solve a problem you don't deplete energy when you work hard mm -hmm. you deplete energy when you work hard and you don't get anywhere mm -hmm. and as long as you're getting somewhere with complex problems it's energizing yeah. a, a great point you provide a lot of advice to a lot of ministers for education around uh, the, the globe. What's the, the one piece of education uh, of, of um, advice you give that you think they need to take most note of? I would almost want to say, do no harm. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's not a bad a battle line for it. Some of those policies do a lot of harm. Yeah, the, I, I mean, more, more seriously, I think <laughs> if, if we could reduce the number of wrong things that are being done and, and do nothing else, that would be progress. Uh, but having said that, we're finding that at the policy level, I'm talking about uh, Ontario, where we've had it now for 12 years or so, uh, California, where the governor is like that, and some other places where at the very top, they're saying the, the way of doing this, where we've tried to strengthen accountability, just isn't working. There is another way where we can get at how to, uh, how to stimulate people to do things that move us forward in society. So in our deep learning work, which now focuses on the six C's, uh, mm. critical education, uh, you know, citizenship, uh, character education, creativity, and so forth. Critical. And those are, those six, uh, we've added character in, in citizenship, mm. and we found they came alive better. Mm. Uh, creativity, we've made more explicit, mm. comes alive better. So I think I want to say to the Minister of Education, uh, uh, start to uh, uh, start to invest in the future and we we have a kind of rule of thumb or I do about it which is uh, is liberate groups below you around a good framework mm. and uh, and so from a minister I'm thinking how do you liberate districts uh, be, be not individuals because mm. individuals go all over the place but if you get groups of people that are working on the agenda so I think I think the agenda has to be deeper yeah. The agenda has to be about the complex <coughs> skills of the six C's, and mm. pedagogy has to be very different than mm. traditional because it's got to be exciting. And uh, I would say this, and it's some—it's uh, a little bit controversial to say it, I guess, this way. But literacy and numeracy are foundational, but they're not the future by themselves. Nice. You mm. need literacy and numeracy plus the uh, six C's, mm. or in relation to the yeah. six C's. So mm -hmm. I see the immediate future as more, there are more takers on that agenda at the school and the district level, and there are more takers even at the state level, which is mm -hmm. remarkable. Yeah. We've all been influenced by a teacher. Is there anyone that stands out in your long career, somebody, a teacher who's had um, a, an effect on you, a profound effect? Yeah, I've been asked that question before, and uh, I think it's partly because I wasn't... Uh, I'm a late bloomer, so I, I really didn't kick in till right. I was in my 30s. And in that sense, uh, I went through school and I got, you know, not great grades, but ordinary grades enough to move up. Uh, but I wouldn't say I was plugged into education very much. I got diverted by hockey, uh, ice hockey. <laughs> okay. uh, and when I was Understandable. Well, yeah, so <laughs> I, I was not a very, like a very good student. I was more uh, balanced. And then it was only when I started to do this work as an adult Mm. that I got more and more drawn in mm. and got specific. So I'd have to say as a general point, my best teachers are practitioners, right. not, not the teacher yeah. I had a grade three or grade six, but the people I come across that I'm working with, where we're partnered in a, a, you know, a joint 
enterprise, mm -hmm. trying to bring about some big change, so that some of the uh, some of some of the policymakers, some of the uh, school leaders, some of the uh, teachers that we're working with now, I'm learning so much from them, mm -hmm. and it's because they're doing work that's breakthrough work, mm -hmm. and uh, some of it is using my ideas, so to speak, better than I could use them. Mm. And then I'm learning more from that. And some of this is new mm. stuff that I haven't thought about. So my symbiotic relationship mm. with lead practitioners is mm. the greatest source of... I, I think that's a great sort of moral as we bring this conversation to the end. Of, you know, being the late bloomer, how many late bloomers that we have that we discard. Yeah. Um, so um, it, it's a, an important thing to remember. Yeah, that, uh, life is, goes yeah. on yeah. after that, and you've yeah. made a great career of it. Yeah, you may. I mean, I don't want to thank myself fully like this, but I, yeah. you may have seen the movie Hidden Figures. Yes, Hidden yeah. Figures about the, uh, yeah, the it's definitely. And the, the black women are great mathematicians behind mm -hmm. the scene. Uh, I don't want to uh, appropriate the line, that situation as much, but I do want to say that when you think about equity and potential, every single student is a hidden figure. Mm -hmm. That is, they yeah. can do a lot. Of, the quiet ones can be great. Uh, the ones that get good grades may not be good at life. Yeah. So you have to figure out like who's who and what are they doing, what are we doing together. Yeah. So the work we're doing now is much more focusing on uh, deep learning, passion, purpose, helping humanity, getting an increase in the uh, students as agents of change. And I mean, I'm saying this not abstractly, but particularly yeah. around the work. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm so glad that you eventually did bloom. And yes, of course, you, you've, yeah. you've, you've made an extraordinary uh, difference to a lot, a lot of our thinking around this work. So, can I thank you very much for your time? Yeah, it's my uh, my uh, pleasure, and it's uh, as you know, great to be able to work with Paramed as I have over the last seven years. Oh, thank you very much. You can search for podcasts in this series by going to blueyonder.wordpress.com or subscribe to this blog for alerts. These podcasts can also be found on iTunes or via your favourite podcast app. I'm Greg Whitby and you've been listening to Blue Yonder Voices.